The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. That same day Jesus went out, went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying that a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. And then Jesus explained the parable. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. The gospel of the Lord. I invite you to please be seated. And this time I'd like to invite... Uh, Charlie Duke forward. Um, if you don't know, Charlie is one of 12 men that has walked on the moon. He was actually number 10, and he is the youngest man to walk on the moon. And he's got a story. He's got a testimony. And Charlie, we're, we're grateful that you're here to be a part of this congregation, you and Dottie, and, and, and that you can Share your story with us. I'd like to pray over you, okay? So we pray, come Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray your anointing to fall on Charlie. Lord, that the, that the story that he tells doesn't become rote. That there's a freshness, Lord. That we indeed have ears to hear your word through your servant today. So bless him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Yes, love you. <clears throat> I thank uh, T for this opportunity uh, to share my story uh, as a witness. Uh, uh, we go back a long way, back to Pauly's Island uh, we met first time. And so uh, we're here today after hearing the reading from Acts here we are 2,000 years after Jesus, and uh, I'm going to try to bring a witness to you all uh, this morning. I'm not a preacher. I don't preach long sermons. Never had 
preached a sermon. I'm reminded of a joke that uh, uh, Danny Reeves, uh, one of my friends and played baseball, uh, uh, football, shared about the little girl and his uh, granddaughter and grandmother. And uh, they were sitting in church and uh, the press was going on and on and on and on. And uh, there was an American flag behind on the side of the uh, side of the uh, pulpit. And she leaned over and says, Grandmama, what's the American flag for? And her grandmother whispered, that's to honor those who died in the service. She said, was that in the 8.30 or the 10.30? (laughs) (laughs) So I hope we don't have any fatalities this morning. (laughs) So I'm here to bring a witness. Uh, I prayed that uh, I might be like the Apostle Paul in uh, Corinthians. In the uh, second chapter, it goes like this. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and pervasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. In the time allotted, I don't have time to talk about the moon flight. There's a lot on the web. Go to my website, charlieduke.com, and if you, you get a whole understanding of what the Apollo space program was. Uh, So uh, I'll leave that. Uh, It was a fantastic time. It was an exciting time. Uh, And uh, I uh, remember almost every step. Uh, T said, I'm the uh, youngest guy that walked on the moon. Uh, That was true. I'm 87 and I'm still the youngest guy that walked on the moon. (laughs) But we might be changing that in the next couple of years and uh, with Artemis and uh, uh, new astronauts might go and I hope they're less than 36 when they get there. When I was was a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy in 1957 and that was before the Air Force Academy was uh, in in place. Uh, They had started but they didn't graduate anybody so at that point uh, they would allow West Point and Annapolis to volunteer for the Air Force and I I, uh, took a uh, love to airplanes when I was at the Naval Academy and uh, so I was Naval Aviation or Air Force and we could volunteer up to 25 percent of the class could go in the Air Force and so uh, as a as I was debating this uh, situation, uh, I had a physical my senior year, first class year we call it, and during this uh, physical, the doctor said, Mitch, you and Duke, uh, you have uh, stigmatism in your right eye, and you, and, and you don't qualify for naval aviation, but the Air Force will take you. So, 
So and I went to the Air Force and I never regretted it. Uh, spent 30 years active in reserve, almost 30 years active in reserve, and uh, it was great to serve my country. My heroes were during a little boy growing up in World War II uh, was uh, the men and women who served in, in our military. So uh, I, chose, I chose the Air Force and had a five years of exciting career. And I went to flight school, Germany, uh, and uh, for three years and then came back to MIT uh, to get a master's degree uh, in MIT. And I started there in 1962, and to be honest, that was probably the hardest two years of my career was trying to master a, a master's program at MIT after you'd been out of school for five years. And <clears throat> so we got a lot of help. Uh, Dottie and I met in June of, uh, no, it was August of 1962. We were married in uh, 1963, and uh, I had been assigned after I graduated had been assigned to the test pilot school at Edwards Air Force Base. And so we moved to Edwards. Our first uh, son, Charles, who's here somewhere in the audience, uh, is, uh, was born in Edwards in 1965. And uh, in 1966, in April, I became an astronaut and we moved to the Houston area and settled down at NASA. Then our son, Tom, was born in 67 and that composed our family. We were faithful in going to church. Uh, uh, I became an Episcopalian uh, because uh, Dottie was rooted in the Episcopal Church. Her grandfather was a priest. Her uncle was the Bishop of Atlanta. He got married us. And so I no way I was going to stay in the Baptist Church in this family. So, <laughs> so off we went to, uh, in uh, LaPorte, Texas to a little uh, a little Episcopal church called St. John's. Uh, during, during the time we were at NASA, I was involved in five of the nine missions to the moon. And as, I, as you heard, I was 36 when I stepped on the moon in April of 1972. My emotions were running wild, to be honest. Uh, the, uh, the awe, the wonder, the desolation, the excitement, the thrill of being on the moon. It was uh, fantastic. I remember almost every step. Well, that was in April of 1972. In December 72, Apollo was over. And uh, the thought occurred to me, now I'm 37, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? How do I top a moonwalk? What career can I have? Uh, I had no peace. I was at the top of the ladder of my career and nowhere to go. So it was a big decision. Most of us in this walked on the moon had the same problems. And so uh, my marriage was, uh, came, was coming under strain. Uh, Dottie and I were, uh, as I said, married in 63. Now this is nine years later and uh, things were, got pretty bad in our marriage, we were contemplating divorce. Uh, Dottie had thoughts about suicide. If this is all there is to life and so painful, why live any longer? We were unchurched, but we had a knowledge of Jesus, but not in our heart, just in our mind. There's a big difference, folks, to have him in your heart or just in your mind. 
So the summer of 1975, I took my eyes off the moon and put them on money. Surely money's the answer for this uh, emptiness I have in my heart. So in the fall, of, and I was uh, decided to leave NASA uh, late, a little bit later that year. Well, in the fall of 1975, our church had a Faith Alive. Some of you probably remember the Faith Alive movement. And the Faith Alive is a, is a weekend of testimony in the church. And we had about 10 or 15 couples that came to our church and spent the whole weekend there. And they really knew Jesus. And they glowed with the love and the joy and the peace that only Jesus can give. And Dottie looked at them that weekend and said, you know, I've tried everything but Jesus. So unbeknownst to me, that weekend, she, after it was over, we, she went into our bedroom and knelt down and prayed. said, Lord, if you're real, I give you my life. If you're not real, I want to die. Well, Jesus was real. He came into her life, and I watched her change over the next several months from sadness to joy. I didn't have any effect on that weekend. It was just, I was just there and listening People were nice, they had good stories, but uh, my mind was on how I'm going to make all this money. So uh, as we, uh, that was in October 75, in January I left NASA and I took my, as I said, took my eyes off the moon and put them on money. And in 76, I, we left NASA, we went to the San Antonio area, and I started a Coors beer distributorship. And uh, I entered the Air Force Reserve to finish my career in the Air Force, and our business was really successful. And I was making a lot of money, and I was still, but I was still frustrated. There was no peace in my life. So uh, I started to pray, and uh, uh, she, her prayer was sort of like a one sentence, you know, Lord Jesus, if you want Charlie in the beer business, give him peace. If you don't want him in the beer business, make it so miserable that he sells out. <laughs> and so uh, it got worse and worse and worse <laughs> over the next six months, but the money got better and better and better. Do I chase the peace or do I chase the money? So I made a decision uh, in March of 1978 to start a, uh, to sell out. Made a lot of money when we sold out, but with no peace. But anyway, the next month, and uh, we had a friend, we'd now moved to New Braunfels, Texas, and we had a friend, uh, a doctor friend, that we were also in an Episcopal church called St. John's. And he said they have a Bible study out at T-Bar M Tennis Ranch. And uh, it's all, all weekend. I said, that's boring. How do you study the Bible all weekend? <laughs> and uh, so uh, he was very persistent, though. And so I decided to uh, uh, go to the Bible study. And so we as a couple went to the Bible study. It was Friday night all the way through Sunday uh, afternoon called Walk Through the Bible, and it was the life of Jesus from Genesis to Revelations. And a weekend we went through the, just hit the high points, of course. 
And uh, while I was there, the scripture began to come alive. I'll just list two. John 3.16. Jesus says, uh, I am the way. No, he doesn't say that there. Uh, <laughs> uh, let me read it to you. Uh, I have this mental, I have this, at my age now, I have these mental blanks. So, uh, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only gotten son. If you believe in him, you'll not perish, but have everlasting life. Is that true? Or is that a lie? It's either true or it's a lie. We get to decide. And 14th chapter of John Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life and no man comes to God except through me did he speak the truth or did he lie we decide whether it's the truth or not I get to choose you get to choose we all have a free will God has given us a free will Sitting in my automobile that Sunday afternoon, I chose it was true. And I said, Jesus, come into my life. No angels appeared, no booming voices from heaven, no blinding lights, but I knew that I knew that I knew it was the truth. And my life was not going to be the same. I experienced the peace of God for the very first time. It was a wonderful The next day, I, didn't, I made a lot of money when I sold the business. I didn't have a job, so I started reading the Bible. And I read the Bible constantly for uh, several months. I had a routine, two Old Testament chapters, five Psalms, two New Testament chapters, and a, a, one Gospel. Took you through the whole Bible in one year. And God began to speak to me from his word. God convicted me of my sins. I didn't even feel like a sinner. You know, I never robbed anybody of much, you know. <laughs> took a little money from the, uh, uh, not money, but I took a little bag of pencils from the government and the pads of paper. And, and it was government property, but I took them home, you know. And, uh, but everybody did that, and so uh, I didn't feel like a sinner. But God, as I went through the Bible, uh, God convicted me of three things I'd like to talk about. Uh, one was uh, Ephesians 5.25. And in, in Ephesians 5.25, it talks about Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. So when I read that, God convicted me. He said, you don't love your wife that way. And I repented. I said, Lord, you're right. We, I do not love my wife that way. Help me, Lord, to love my wife that way. So I repented, and I went to Dorothy, and I said, uh, I'm sorry, love, that uh, our marriage has been tough, but I want to build our marriage 
on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and so God uh, came into our marriage and came into our life as we started. This was 1978. We're still building on that marriage on the rock of Jesus. We still have a lot of problems. We still have a lot of arguments. But the biggest thing that we have learned in our life is walking with Jesus is forgiveness. Forgive one another as God has forgiven us. He erases it. And so as we, as we get ready for bed, for instance, and we got anger, we've had a, a bad spat, and we've had anger, the scripture says in Ephesians, it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Get, settle it with your spouse. And so we began to do that, and it had an amazing effect on our marriage. Now, we're still having these problems. We still have to have forgiveness. Moving into the Greenville area, we moved into a new house, and it's a lot of different uh, uh, problems, as, to say the least. And so... I go one way, she goes another way, but we, we, we figured out that, that we're not going to go to the bed with still anger, so we asked for forgiveness. I remember years ago, Dottie and I were going to Corpus Christi, driving down I-75, and uh, the, uh, we were in a knockdown drag, and we were going to a marriage seminar to tell everybody how. <laughs> How, how wonderful our marriage was. <laughs> and we're in this big fight going down Interstate 37. And, uh, and she's in tears, and I'm, I'm right. It's a theological discussion, you know. And, and I know I'm right, so I'm letting her have it. And, uh, and God, if I've ever heard the voice of God, it was there. Shut up. And apologize. She was in, ready to jump out of the car. Well, we realized that the enemy didn't want us to show up at Corpus Christi, Corpus Christi with peace and joy and love in our lives together. We have an enemy who tries to destroy us. And he was trying to destroy that weekend. But we overcame that, repented, and we went down and had a wonderful uh, time. The next thing God spoke to me about was Proverbs 18.21. This is a strong word. We have the power of life and death in our tongue. Let that sink in. We have the power of life and death in our tongue. We can speak life or we can speak death by what comes out of our mouth. I was a hard dad. And... Uh, and so I was trying to beat these kids into submission and to perfection like I was. And when I read that, I realized uh, that I had cursed my own sons. Not profanity. The Bible talks about curses, but it's not profanity. It's words like, you're stupid. That's a curse on my son. So I repented and began to speak life into them and started to bless them and both have grown up now and have been very successful 
we came here to Greenville because our oldest boy Charles lives here with his six kids and uh, we got a great granddaughter now so we knew that God was leading us to Greenville and uh, we knew that God was leading us to St. Paul's because of the signs that he'd given Dottie. Don't have time to go into those signs but we use signs a lot. So our marriage and our family and our kids and we love our grandkids, we love our, our kids, we bless them, we speak peace over them and we try to get be involved in their lives. The third thing I wanted to talk about was uh, in Malachi, third chapter. Uh, God says, you're robbing me. You're robbing me. What do you mean, Lord? In tithes and offerings, you're robbing me. So it thought occurred to me, maybe I ought to start tithing. But that's going to be a big check. It's part of that money from the beer business. So I, I said, well, maybe I'm not hearing God right. So I said, <laughs> so I said, Dottie, you go pray. So Dorothy, she went off and prayed. A couple of weeks later, she came back and said, God spoke to me. He said, what did he say? Tithe. <laughs> so we started tithing. And I guarantee you, you cannot outgive God. And so we started blessing the church and blessing other ministries as we began to give. And uh, we're still giving, and uh, it's been a blessing to be able to bless them. And Jesus says, as you give, you will be given, overflowing into, into your lap. And so his promises have been correct for us. And so we uh, uh, give our tithe, and it's been a blessing. In many other ways, God has used us in witness. Uh, but I'd like to just focus on one thing, really, is that I believe that the Bible is God's manufacturer's handbook. He made us, and he's given the Bible to, to, as the word of God to lead us and to direct us. I've flown probably 45 different airplanes, and every one of them got a manual. Let me tell you, you better read the manual before you fly the airplane and understand how this thing can kill you if you don't do it right. See, every car's got a manual. Every appliance at home has got a manual. <clears throat> and so we better read the manuals for whatever the manual is. And so we better read the Bible. The Bible teaches us the truth. And I ask God to sort of lead us and guide us. And when we're unsure about God's direction, we ask for signs. And I was so thankful when we came here that we found that they select a vestry by lots, picking it out of a hat. That's what's in the scriptures. And so we began to uh, ask God for signs. And... Uh, I had a niece named Betty lived in Charleston. We were living in Texas. And uh, God was, and she was having trouble. She was uh, carrying a, 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 a uh, she was pregnant and carrying this uh, baby and wasn't doing very well. So I was driving to Austin for a meeting and I was driving up to Austin. I got this word, this thought, 
God's never spoken to my ears but this thought, go pray for Betty. Well, Lord, that's 1,200 miles. Go pray for Betty. So I said, Lord, if this is really you, have a big red 18-wheeler come over the hill. Bang, that came the 18-wheeler. I said, well, I think I'm supposed to go, but Lord, give me another 18-wheeler. <laughs> over it came. So I said, Lord, if I can get to Charleston, South Carolina, and home in a day and a half, I'm off. So I went there, knocked on the door of their house, and her mother answered the door and said, Charlie, what are you doing here? Her mama's name was Duda. And I said, Duda, I'm come to pray for Betty. She said, well, she, I, I no, no, let's just pray right here. I said, I'm going to pray for Betty. So I went into the bedroom and said, Betty, I'm here. God sent me here to pray for you. She started to weep. She said, I've been praying for three days, and I didn't think anybody was hearing me. So we prayed for her. Peace came. The outcome of the pregnancy wasn't what I thought it would be, but that was God's situation. She had peace. Another uh, story that our boys, uh, and when they were in high school, uh, they uh, uh, would take my old pickup truck to school, and there was a spare tire in the bed of the pickup. One day they come, came home and said, Dad, somebody stole the tire in the back of the pickup. So I started to get angry, but then the Lord says, pray. So we prayed, said, Lord, if if there's a poor family that's taken that tire and needs it for their transportation, we give them the tire. But Lord, if it's just a bunch of kids that have taken the tire just to be funny, they think, then have them send the tire back. We forgot about that tire. A year later, we come home, propped against our mailbox was the tire. <clears throat> it took God a year to convict whoever it was to bring the tire back. And uh, another story, quick story about, about my dad. My dad wasn't a believer until two weeks before he died. And I was trying to build his faith about uh, <clears throat> two years before this. And I was telling him a story about these uh, friends of ours on an airplane. And when they get on an airplane, they always pray, said, Lord, surround this airplane with your angels and one day they looked out on the wing and they got to see an angel sitting on the wing of the airplane and my daddy started to laugh he thought that was the funniest thing he said what if the angel falls off <laughs> so i don't know what had happened dad if the angel falls off he said well if i ever see an angel he better have on a parachute <laughs> so i'll sit pray you see an angel two years later I'd forgotten this conversation, and I'm in California when my mom called and said, your dad's dying, get home quick. So a real a little modern apostle named Ilie Koroama took me to the airport. And I said, Ilie, pray for my dad. He said, I will. So I get home at 5.30, my dad, uh, six or so, my dad had died about an hour before. Went home and uh, comforted my mom and the phone rang. It was uh, Dorothy from uh, Texas, and she said, call Ilie. He has a word from the Lord for you. And he said, 
and so he I called him and he had, he's, he always calls me Brother Charlie. A Brother Charlie, he's got this Romanian accent. Brother Charlie, Brother Charlie, I was praying for your dad this afternoon at uh, 2.30. That's 5.30 in South Carolina. And as I was praying, your dad, he showed, God said your dad would die very soon. I said, Ily, he died as you were praying. And he said, yeah, but then I had a very strange vision. I saw two angels coming coming to get my dad and they both had on parachutes <laughs> I said he said what I've never seen an angel with a parachute on I, I said I don't it took me two weeks of, of talking to God why the parachutes and I remembered that conversation God's got a sense of humor I want to close with a short story about a guy named Leroy. Uh, this was 1980. It's been a long time ago. But we were going to St. Mark's Episcopal Church for a Terry Fulham uh, meeting back in the 80s. And we went to, uh, I dropped Dottie in the car full of people off and I went to park. And I came back and there was a and I was going in through the side door, and there was a drunken bum sitting on the steps. God spoke to my heart, go tell him I love him. I said, Lord, he's drunk. He smells. He vomits his clothes. He's, a, he's just a mess. And uh, he said, tell him I love him. So I was about 15 feet away. And, I, and I, I said, that's about as close as I could get. And I said, God loves you. He, he reached up and spit at me. Then he staggered off. Well, I couldn't get this guy out of my mind. Two weeks later, we were back at St. Mark's, and I looked. Uh, same thing happened. I went in the side door, and there's this guy sitting there. And he can't talk because he's got a big hole in his throat. And he's drunk again. He's homeless. And, I, and I, God spoke to me again. He says, go tell him I love him. Lord, I can't get close to him. He stinks. He's drunk. He's not going to understand. Go tell him I love him. I said, Lord, I can't. He said, you can't, but I can. But I need your feet, and I need your hands, and I need your voice. If you'll take me over there, we'll love him. So I said, okay, Lord, and I, when I said, okay, Lord, and I yielded to God, this bum disappeared, and I saw somebody that Jesus had hung on the cross for. I never felt such love. And I picked him up by the hands, and I gave him a big hug, and I says, and I, he couldn't talk, but I said, I love you, God loves you, and we want to help you. I took him to a halfway house. He sobered us up. Uh, he still hadn't talked, but I read in the paper about us, this, uh, these voice machines you can get and hold to your throat and they give you a teeny voice. So I gave him one and he put it to his throat and started saying, my name's Leroy and thank you for helping me. I used to have one of these, but I traded it for a bottle of whiskey. 
So he, it, he, it took a month, but he sobers up. He becomes a believer. And uh, he said, I want to go back to my family at Fayetteville, Arkansas. So I went to the bus station, bought him a ticket, put Lever on, on the bus. haven't seen him since. But that's being a witness, folks. God needs your feet. He needs your voice. And he needs your love and your hands. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you for your great love that you've shown to us. Thank you for the opportunity that you give us to be your witness. Lord, may we move forth in the mighty name of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you very much.